Good morning. I'd like to start this morning, as soon as I pray, first, I want to read you something from one of the scriptures. That's not the scripture that we're looking at this morning, but it relates to the subject that we'll be looking at. So if you would, pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, that because you loved us and you've redeemed us and you've given us new life in Jesus Christ, that we are here this morning, Lord, the body of Christ. Lord, as your body, I pray that we would be open to hear from you, Lord, that our hearts would be good soil, that our ears and our eyes would be open, our spiritual eyes and ears, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to bring that message, Lord, in truth. Now I pray you'd be with us, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me just put my spectacles on so I can read this. As usual, I'm having trouble with this earpiece. I, it must be my ear or something. I, I was thinking before, I wonder like somebody like Mr. Spock, if he had to use one of these, if they have a special one for him, you know, that adapts to those ears. I don't know, but uh, anyway. I want to read you something from Job chapter 21, starting at verse 7. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not upon them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their, cow, their cows calve and do not miscarry. They set forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of tambourine and harp. They make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? Job is writing about our, a subject that throughout the Old Testament we see it. We see it in a number of the Psalms in Psalm 37, Psalm 49, and today Psalm 73. Why is the question, why does it seem like the ungodly seem to do so well sometimes. Have you ever known people that a person is, let's, is a real louse? And they really, they're, they're pretty crummy. They treat people nasty. They basically laugh about God. And it seems like things are just falling in place for them. At least it appears that way. It seems like they get away basically with murder. They just keep going. It seems like 
you know, they're, they're prospering more. They're, there's less sickness. There's, it just seems sometimes like people who are, are so ungodly, why do they get the breaks? When those who are righteous, the righteous, we'll say, who follow God, are struggling. And it's like, I don't get it. I'm, I'm struggling to just get by every day, and this guy seems to be doing so well. And in the Old Testament, that was a, uh, that was a topic that was brought up a lot. It troubled, and it troubles Job here, as you can see. He says, why does it seem so imbalanced? If God is a just God, why does it seem we lack justice many times? In fact, I, I, I won't go down a, a rabbit hole here with this, but the titan of Western philosophy, Immanuel Kant, actually, first he, he did a book called The Critique of Pure Reason, and in that book he basically said, you can't reach God from here. He said he built this un, uh, unscalable wall by reason. He said, you can't know if God exists or not, which he really hurt the Christian community when he wrote that. But then Kant goes and he sneaks around the back door and he uses what was called a moral philosophy. He says the moral argument for God. And he shows, which we won't get into now, but Kant basically by reason, he calls it the, crit uh, the critique of, of practical reason, where he shows that because of this inward desire for us, we all have this sense of, of justice and why is there no justice? He shows that in the end, he shows that there really is a God because justice is served in the final end of all things. And he builds a, uh, he builds a whole uh, reason for God on that moral argument. Well, today in Psalm 73, it was written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph, from what we can gather by the scriptures, there was some question as to who he was or was that more of a title, but there's 11 Psalms in the Psalter that are credited to Asaph. And he was, it says, uh, it tells us in the history that he was uh, the chief musician. So Asaph here is writing. I mean, this is a, a man who had a, a, a very important position in worship. He knew God. And yet, watch what happens to Asaph here. Uh, the title for, I, I'm not usually too much with titles, but the title today is A Slippery Slope and a Glorious Hope. And you'll see the, the ride that Asaph takes now, going way down and then coming way back up. So let's start in verse 1, Psalm 73. I'm going to start at verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph starts out here, Asaph, and he starts out and he says, with such a good foundation, he has a solid foundation, one of the most important things we can know is God is good. That's just a, 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 a foundation block that is so important to know. 
So we see he starts out on a real firm foundation. His theology is good. It's not like he's somebody who's quest- not quite sure who God is. He knows who God is. He said, God is good. And he mentions, he says, God is good to Israel, to the people he had his covenant with. And he says, to those who are pure in heart. You know, the pure in heart and not the sinless, the pure in heart are those who are staying within God's covenant that he made with his people. They're, they're seeking God is what they're doing. So Asaph starts out with a good foundation. And you know what? The most important thing we can do is know that God is good. You know why? Because when bad stuff happens in life, if you don't know that God is good, you're going to start to question things. And Asaph does that later, even in spite of his good theology. But Jesus said it so well in, in chapter 7 of Matthew. Chapter 5 through 7, the greatest teaching and sermon ever given by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends that sermon by saying that there were two men. One was a wise man. He built his house upon a rock. He had a firm foundation, he said, so that when the rain came down and the streams rose and the wind started beating and hitting that house, he says, that house stood. He was a wise man, but he had a firm foundation. He had a right view and knew his relationship with God, what it was all about. He says the fool was the one who built his house upon sand. He says, and when the rain came, and when the streams rose, and when the water beat and blew against that house, it was wiped out. We have to make sure we know that God is good because there's things in life that are bad, and when bad things happen, that doesn't define who God is. That's why I worry sometimes, and I know I, maybe I'm looking too deep into this, but sometimes I actually used to get uncomfortable when we do pray, when we have like a moment to give a testimony or a praise to God. People don't mean it this way, I'm sure, but they'll say, my aunt was dying of cancer, but she had some treatments, and she's healed. God is good. If you, if you think about that for a minute, even though I know what they're saying, we have to be careful. Because it almost sounds like God did what I wanted him to do, so he's good. We've got to be careful because if his aunt or her aunt died, that doesn't change the fact that God is good. That's part of life, and we've got to be so careful. So Asaph, he starts right on, and it's a great foundation. God is good, he says. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I want to sit here for a minute because this is an important verse for us to remember. You can have good, solid theology. But you know what? You can slip and you can fall. If your faith is not firmly planted in God, even if it is, we are fragile. Our Christianity is fragile, people. It's built upon a faith in the truth. Well, what's the problem with our faith? It's not always so strong, is it? Think about what Jesus told his disciples 
about faith. I don't want to forget you guys over here. I keep looking away. I don't want to stamp back a little. Think how many times Jesus in the in the uh, this, all four Gospels, he looked at his disciples and said things like, where's your faith? Do you have no faith? You of little faith. Or the, the one incident where the, the boat, they, the disciples thought the boat was going was gonna to sink. You remember what Jesus said to them? Jesus got up, he was resting in the front, don't people annoy you like that who just relax during a big crisis? You know, it's like the plane is getting ready to go down and the guy's snoring. You know, it's like, come on, you've got to get excited about that. But Jesus was just relaxed. Jesus was a Calvinist. He knew. He was no problem. This is a, we were safe. And anyway, so Jesus, he looks at them. After he calms the water, and he says, do you still have no faith? That's quite a statement to make at these men. Do you still have no faith? We're no better. We're no better. I, I worry about people. I heard a, a younger Christian a couple years ago. We were talking about the situations in other countries and stuff. And he all of a sudden said, he said, you know what? Somebody puts a gun to my head and says, denounce Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to take the bullet. Who I was thinking, Peter. Remember Peter? Lord, if everybody else deserts you, I'll never desert you. I'll die for you. I believe he really meant that too. Peter was a man who really meant those kind of things. And what happened? Jesus gets arrested. And Peter boogies with everybody else. They're gone. You know, and then to top it off, what does he do later on in the courtyard? He denies that he even knew Jesus three times. Don't ever, don't ever get too confident in your walk of faith that, oh, I'm, I'm really strong. Me and the Lord are like this. Be careful. Paul addressed for in the Corinthian church. Uh, if I remember, First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? So if you think you're standing firm, he says, be careful. He says, because you could fall like that. Let's just remember, we want to have a strong faith, but don't ever think that you're so strong in your faith that you couldn't face certain things where your faith would be rocked. That's why we need to continually, continually be with God and keep that relationship close all the time. It's not something we do once in a while. It's something we do every month. I don't want to embarrass our brother, but if I do, I do. I'm sorry, Steve. Last week, I was so encouraged. At the end of the service, he and I happened to be talking for a moment. And just, not as a boast or anything, he was, say, he was just saying, he says, I don't know, he says, I, I feel like all day long, Jesus is on my mind. You know what? That's normal for a Christian. That's where we should be at. Jesus should constantly be in our mind. What does Psalm 1 tell us? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the seat, way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and you know the rest. 
and on his law he meditates day and night. That means God is always on his mind. And after all, isn't that normal? Who's inside of us? The Holy Spirit? If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you. You should be aware that somebody's living inside of you, I would hope, that you're not so numb that you don't know, and you hear he's speaking to you constantly. It's like a marriage. You know, hopefully you're speaking to one another. Well, Christ, we should continually be speaking with him because he's constantly speaking to us if we listen. So Asaph says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. In other words, Asaph, this man who has great theology and knows his stuff about God, and he says, I almost lost my faith. I was almost gone, he says. My feet slipped. I was a goner. And here a man, just the verse before, was saying how he had this faith in God being good. Verse 3, and look why, what happened. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. To, to boil this down, what did he do? He went from looking at God to looking at people. That's a big mistake. Why do you want to look at people when you can look at God? But Asaph's looking, he, you know, he looks next door and he goes, wow. He just bought a new boat. This guy blasphemes God. He's really nasty. I hear him cursing and screaming at his kids all the time. He's nasty to the neighbors. He throws his garbage around. He cares about nobody. He basically hates God. He lives like there is no God. Every other month he gets like a new car and they're all like these fifty, sixty thousand dollar cars. You know, and I'm driving, you know, a bucket of bolts. I don't get it. What's going on? What does the New Testament tell us envy is? Sin. Why did he almost fall? Because he fell into sin. Because he went from looking at God and looking at people. Man, that's a mistake. That's a very bad mistake as Asaph found out. Put that there. <clears throat> In uh, Proverbs, it tells us that, uh, oh, I can't even remember now. Fort, I'm going to look it up right now. I can't remember my verse here. But I know where it is. Proverbs 14.30 says, the eye, 14.3, no, 14.30, I'm sorry. 14.30 tells us that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. It's not good. The Bible says it's sin. Envy is a sin of the flesh, it's called, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in the, under the commandments, it's the idea of coveting. He was coveting. He's looking what somebody else has and going, oh, gee, look what this guy has. This, uh. Do you ever look, do that? You ever look at other people and start to want what they have or get envy? Why? How come they're not a nice person? How come they have all this stuff? You know, that's a dangerous place to be. 
we have to be very careful. And I'm going to mention one thing here, dealing with our times right now. Facebook, boy, is that a temptation, isn't it? To constantly look at what other people are doing, what other people are getting, right down to, you know, the shrimp scampi they ate last night. <laughs> when they look, oh, shrimp scampi, oh, how come I don't get shrimp scampi? This bum is eating the good meals and I get nothing. You know, bologna sandwich last night without mayonnaise. You know, it's, but it's a dangerous thing. It really is. I, I think, I, I don't have Facebook. I don't know how to do it. You would expect that from somebody like me, okay? <laughs> Just look at me. Though I, you know, I'm not the most savvy. But, but somehow, I, I see people, they're standing, I see them scrolling through and they're looking at people's faces all the time and looking at their accounts and stuff. Don't worry about what everybody's doing. Worry about what God wants you to do. Keep your eyes on God. You know, that's, that's all that's going to count, as Asaph will find out. Now, watch. The slope, he gets on that slope because he's sinning. Sin has caused him to take his eyes off of God, put him on people, and watch. I'm going to read through this quick, so don't get scared. We're not going to go through every verse the way I just did. There's some big spaces here. Verse 4, they have, now watch this progression. That's why I call it a slippery slope. Watch what he's doing here. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. And that makes sense. People who are away from God don't have the restraint of the Holy Spirit in their heart. They just sin. Let's basically, sin has no bounds. just keeps going and getting deeper and deeper. Then he says in verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Basically, they think they're God. They're taught, I'm God. I, you know, they, they, they just have that idea that, you know, they're autonomous. They're just like God. Verse 10, therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And it's funny because sometimes people who are arrogant and nasty and boastful, sometimes it seems like people are attracted. A certain type of person gets attracted to them and looks up to them. People with attitude, you know, oh, he's got attitude. And they go, man, he's got attitude. And, this, and it's, it's a funny thing, but people get attracted to that. They, they love that lawlessness that they see in certain people. Instead of, you know, even like these gangster movies. You know, after a while, like, you hear people talking about the Sopranos. They're talking about psychopaths. And they, like, like almost look up to these people. Like, whoa, did you see what Tony did? And this and that. It's like, are you kidding? This guy's a psychopath. Don't, don't admire these people. They're, they're bad. I mean, come on. You know? He says, therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Oh, that's frightening. Imagine that attitude. That scares me when I hear somebody says something like that. Man, when you answer to that. He says, this is what the wicked are like. Here's the slope. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Now, you know what? It's a slippery slope because what he's saying is not totally true. 
Wicked people do have problems. Wicked people get cancer. Wicked people die in automobile accidents. But what's Asaph doing? He's gotten so caught up in this looking at these people and envy. It's, it's, it, it, like the, the verse says, 1430, Proverbs, it rots the bones after a while. It, it changes your perspective. And he's, he's looking at these people and he's not seeing reality anymore. His sin has gotten him in this, this false idea of what it is to live a wicked life. You know, it's not always true. But to Asaph at this point, he thinks it is. Well, the next verse I think is probably one of the, and I mean this, this is heartbreaking, this verse, I think. It is one of the saddest verses I think I've ever read in the Bible. Verse 13. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Hear what he's saying? He's saying, following God, living for God, is a waste of time. That's basically what he's saying. Why wa I'm wasting my time living for God. I'm wasting my time doing what's right. I'm wasting my time trying to live a holy and a sanctified life. What's the purpose of it? And watch what he says. Verse 14. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. He's saying my life is miserable. I follow God and my life stinks is what he's saying. Why did I sign up for this? I could be living like the, the lawless people, the God-haters. They seem to be doing great, and I'm doing crummy. He's lost his joy here. There's no joy. His whole perspective is rotten at this point. And it's not true. But he's gotten down that slope, and he's gone down. When I think of this, I'm just thinking, oh, I shouldn't let my mind wander. But remember the game Shoots at Lattice? Does anybody remember that game with your kids? Play and shoot like, you know, a kid would, you'd play it a hundred times and they'd say, can we play it one more time? And, it's, and the game with the, where you go up in certain boxes you go on, you climb the ladder and you get way up quick. The other ones, I think it was in the 80s. One of those numbers in the 80s, you hit that one and it's the long shoot and you go boop and you go all the way down to like 10 or 8 or something like that at the beginning. He hit that, that slide, that slope. And he's just gone. It's actually taking him down from when he started by looking at others. He's now at the point he says, my what am I following God for? It's a waste of time. I am not getting anything out of this. But look, verse 15. All of a sudden, reason hits. The reality, just a little spark of reality there. He says, if I had said this, he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. All of a sudden, a little, you know, he comes to reason a little bit there. Uh-oh. <laughs> he comes to reason a little bit and says, you know what? If I started telling people what I'm thinking and feeling, I'd be a liar. I'd be telling them not lies, not the truth. And that's important. Be careful what you think and what you feel. 
be careful before you, you share it with people because sometimes we get real distorted and what we, you know, we get so focused on something that it's a distorted view and we kind of lose the truth. Well, he lost the truth here. But now, all of a sudden, he's thinking for a moment saying, wow, somehow I know this isn't true. And it's a good thing I didn't share this with people because I would have been steering them in, in, in lies. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Whew. That's the, that key verse there, verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. When I tried to understand all this, he says it was oppressive to me. When I did it in my own reasoning, with my own thinking, he says, he had that wrong view, that distorted view of what reality in the scope really is, what it means to really live a life of faith, what, are, what is the end result of it. He, he loses all that, and he's doing his own understanding. But then in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, he says, then I understood. I know I'm redundant, but I will be till I die. This is why we need to open up the Bible and listen to what God says to us, not what we think. Today, I don't understand. All they have is, is talk radio. Everybody gives their opinions. There's a million different opinions out there. You know what? I don't care what people are thinking. I want to know what God says. That's what we need to ultimately look at. What does God say here? Not what Joe over here says and Louie over here says and Pete over here says. But we're so caught up in that today. We all, and social media, constantly giving, everybody gives their opinion. we got a million opinions. What does God say? What's the truth ultimately? What's the truth? And he entered the sanctuary of God. In other words, he got in God's presence, basically, he's saying. For us, that could be going in my room and opening up the Bible and sitting quietly. Just listen to what God has to say to you. You know, that's what the Bible is. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews says it's living and active. That's why he says the Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It shows us. It exposes us to what's really going on in here. Only God can see that. We can deceive ourselves many times, but you can't fool God. And if you take the time to let God speak to your heart, man, that's why I look at this and I say, Asaph, when he was at a point where he's saying, the problem is everything around me. You know, the problem is outside of me here and around me. And then he goes in this before God. And what does God show him? Mm -mm. No, Asaph. The problem is with you in your heart. And that's what God, when we spend time with God, he points us away from the outside, looking always at the outside, and he says, look at the inside. This is the source of the problem. It's your heart. It's your attitude. It's your sin that's creating this whole thing. 
Don't you worry about what other people are doing. You belong to me. Keep your relationship with me, and I'll take care of it. Let God be God. You know, and let's make sure he's the God of our life. We're not trying to rule ourselves. But there, that key, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Don't lose a daily contact with God. Let him go in your mind all day long. Let the word of God... I, in, uh, in, in, in Bible college, the, one of my professors, I, I love this guy, he had such a zeal for the Word of God, and he used to say, the Word of God, he says, you gotta, you got to saturate your mind with the Word of God, he said, because it's like a scrub brush. He said, you know the way your, your mind has all those convolutions, the brain there, the brain has all these convolutions. He said, the Word of God is like it gets in there, and it, he says, it's like a scrub brush and it cleans all the filth out of there, all the wrong conceptions. It's like, well, what's that product? They have scrub, scrubbing bubbles or something like that. It does, but it does. It works like that. It purifies our thoughts and purifies our hearts, most of all. Asaph needed God to show him that it was his heart what the problem was, not the evil that people are committing outside. Verse 18, then he starts the slope now. He's at the bottom sitting. He went all the way down and he's there. And now he's going to start seeing that glorious hope. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. Speaking of the people who would do evil, he says, how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You know, the idea is that you know, when you dream, think about a dream, it's so real. But the minute you wake up, it's gone. And he's saying basically when God, whenever it says you know, that the Lord arises, it's saying when God acts, when he acts, and administers justice, they're gone. They're done for. They're facing eternal punishment and ruin, ultimately. Verse 21, and this is, look at this, he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You ever feel like that before God? You know, you, you were just in a, a sinful state and you're thinking maybe even in your actions for a minute or your words with somebody and you get before God. And it's like you feel like a brute beast before him. It's like as you repent, you realize, man, you know, I have no sense. And that's what he's saying. When he, and it's interesting, the Hebrew of that is when my heart was grieved, when my heart grew sour, it means. My heart was sour, he says. Why? He was envying. He was sinning. Grew sour. He says, and my spirit embittered. The idea of that is that he felt these stinging pains. So my heart was, was, was sour. And in my spirit, I felt this, these stinging pains in me over this, he says. I was senseless and ignorant that's where we get to when we when we're in sin we're senseless and we're ignorant 
when we're in a sinful state like, like Asaph was. And he says, I was a brute beast before you. Brute beast can't reason. He says, I had no sense of reasoning. He says, I didn't have any common sense or reasoning. An animal has instinct, but an animal can't reason things out. You know, you give him a, a, a fork or you give him a tool, you know, well, first of all, he has hooves. He can't do anything with it. You know, it's going to be hard. He'll be like, you know, trying to manipulate. But the thought doesn't come in his mind of picking up a, a, a chainsaw and start cutting a tree that's in his way. You know, that's a silly illustration, but I just thought of it. Sometimes, you know, on the spot, you don't, you don't think of the greatest things. Okay, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Verse 23. And here now is this glorious hope. He enters into this whole beautiful section here. He says, yet, now think how far he was getting from God. He almost slipped. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. How, I'm sorry, that's tender. When I read that, I go, what a God. Look at the tenderness of God. He says, even when I was a brute beast, he says, you were still with me. You didn't let me go. Because the truth is, once you are saved by God, once you are his, you are always his. No matter how far you fall, Eternal life is eternal life. Once it starts, it doesn't, there's no end to it. You know, when Jesus made that clear, he said that you know, where he has a firm grip on us and no one can snatch them. And he gives us the Father. Is, he says, the Father and I are one. And he says, the Father also has a grip on you. He says, and he gives us eternal life. So Asaph was never in danger of fall, even his faith was, was getting weak. He was never in danger of being abandoned by God, but he was making life tough for himself and there's consequences for sin. You know, there's always consequences in sin. You never get away. Remember David, think how far David fell. You know, again, the idea he took his eyes off of God and just took a glance over and saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. That led to adultery. That led to... He conspired the murder of her husband. And then for almost a year, he was living a lie and covering it up, trying to cover it up. God never left him, did he? David paid a price. God said, David, he says, you're not going to die, he says. But, he says, the sword will never leave your house. And think about what happened between his sons, the, 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 tragedies, the tragedies, the events that took place that was so painful for David. He paid a price for his sin, but God never let him go. And look at here, Asaph says, he says, if I can find my place, yet I am always with you. Is that a comfort to know that? God is always with you. How many times do you hear, I will never leave you or forsake you? Jesus says, I'll be with you till the end of the age. You know, we over and over, when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land, what did he remind her of? Moses, I'm always going to be with you, Joshua. I'm never going to leave you. Don't worry. And it, that applies to us, too. And the beauty, I, I, I picture, you as, uh, where he says here, you hold me by my right hand. I always picture a father. 
It could be a mother too, but I guess I'm a man, so I picture the father. He's with a little child, like two or three years old, where they're still, you know, kind of their legs aren't always moving the best when they're walking and stuff. And they're walking, and the father's got them, and the hand is up. And all of a sudden, you see the kid like start stumbling. The father won't let go of him. He holds his hand. That's the way we are with God. You know, God is with us, I should say. Even when we mess up big time, God is holding. I say, I'm not letting go of you, you little punk. You know, he doesn't say it that way, but, you know, you brat. Maybe he says, I don't know. But, you know, he never lets go of us. That's a comfort. That's glorious hope. Verse 24, he says, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. By the way, you know, lots of times you hear people say, well, the Old Testament really doesn't talk much about the afterlife and eternal life. You know what? Sometime, in fact, maybe that would be a message sometime. We'll talk about all the places in the Old Testament where it does talk about the afterlife, where it talks about heaven, basically, without saying heaven, you know. But God talks about that place he's going to take us to, to be with him. Right through the Bible, that is. And yes, it was in continuing revelation that it came. It was revealed over time. And by the time we get to the New Testament, it's just blown straight out. You know, those who belong to Christ have eternal life with the Father in heaven. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. He realized there's nothing greater than God. He realizes in the end, it's all God. It really is. And you know what? Basically, we don't really have anything in this life. We know our possessions aren't. Even our relationships as much as we can love people, we know we don't have them in this world forever. Yes, the believers we will see again in the next life with God. But, you know, when we take our last breath, we can have a hundred people around our bedside as we take our last breath. But we're not going with, none of them are going to go with us. Only Christ will be with us. He, we, he will not leave us or forsake us. That's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The presence of God, that, that, that rod and staff is saying, oh, your presence. God, no matter what I face, you're there with me. And Asaph realizes that he has God. No matter what, he will always have God. He's his all in all. We have a, this song, there's something about you, my all in all. Uh, I'm bad with the titles, but uh, sorry. But, but we need to remember that. Now look, verse 26. We should all be uh, very tuned into this verse. My flesh and may, my heart may fail. We know our flesh and heart is going to fail. It's going to fail physically and even at times spiritually. You know, our flesh fails. Instead of being instruments of righteousness, our flesh becomes instruments of unrighteousness. Our heart at times 
instead of being in the right place, gets caught up in sin. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Ultimately, it's God is the one who's going to keep him strong. Focus on God, you'll stay strong, he says. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, the Israelites, when the land, it's, this, is, this is really right out of Numbers chapter 18, and verse 20, where the Israelites, they're, they're making the allotments for the 12 tribes for the different lands that they're going to receive. And what is, happens when he gets to the Levites? He says, uh-uh, you guys don't need any land. They were the priests, the, tri- the, the, the tribe of the priests. He says, you don't need any land. He says, I'm going to be your portion. You know what? I'd rather have God as my portion than 20 acres in, in, prime, in prime real estate, let me tell you. You know, that's okay. God is their portion, he says. He says, you are my portion forever. You're always going to be there, God. Verse 27, those, and he sees, his, his vision is so clear now because when he talked to God in the sanctuary and God talked to his heart, He went from that little narrow perspective of his to the eternal perspective that God gives us. God gives us a picture of seeing clearly everything. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Can you say that? I don't want to sound like Mr. Rogers. I realize I just said can you say that? You know, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry. I don't want to, I'm not trying to condescend here. <laughs> but as for me, it is good to be near God. I hope we can all say that and believe it. It's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. He realizes God is that place of security and of safety. And regardless of what's happening around him, his soul is safe. He's safe. His future is sealed and set with God. It doesn't matter what other people are doing and how unjust the world is and everything that's going on. He says, I know my place with God is forever, he says. And that that should bring peace to us people. In the midst of of a world where it is so inflammatory between nations and with our own country and everything, that peace of God can be with us to know these things and not get us focused on everything else. And then look at the last verse, the part of verse 28. I will tell of all your deeds, he says. What's he saying? I'm going to praise you to other people. I'm going to tell you what God has done for me. You know, basically tie it into last week when we were talking about evangelism. You know, where to be a witness. Where to give our testimony to people. The greatest way you can witness the people is to tell them what God does for you in your life. Tell them what God has done and what he continues to do for you. That's the greatest. You, want to, you don't need to be a theological giant to share the gospel. Tell them what the gospel of Jesus Christ is through your own life first. If you do that, 
You'll get people looking. So what do we learn here? We need to have good theology. We need to remember God is good. We need to remember a lot of things when it comes to theology. We need to be careful. Not focus on other people, other things going on, even circumstances, but keep God central. And when we do start to feel our world shaking, we better make sure that we are close to God, that we draw back quickly, you know, get in get in his sanctuary, get to a place where you can hear God's voice, you know. And this is why I, again, I sound redundant, but next time you get in the car, I bet you a lot of you turn on the car and your radio's blasting right with the ignition. You know, many times I'm sitting next to people in a parking lot and I'm getting ready and they get in the car and I, I see them turn the ignition on, I hear, da 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 not that, you know, not that you can't listen to that kind of music, you know, but how can you hear God's voice when you're constantly getting blasted? It could be Frank Sinatra music as well, but it's always you're just being bombarded by sound, you know. I'll end with this. A little, uh, okay, see if I can remember. Years ago this took place. I'm just just thought of I've just thought of this, but this is the way we'll close this morning. Probably about 25 years ago, I was sitting in my backyard. It was a beautiful early summer day, on a Saturday, I think it was a Saturday, and I sit out on my patio. And as I sit out on my patio, I have my Bible, and I'm I'm going to be in a nice quiet time with the Lord. And I happened to notice, I, I was a musician for years, and I, my ears, I have a problem. I kind of pick up sounds everywhere. I have a problem. A lot of people can just, uh, it's hard for me to focus if there's noises around because my ear wants to listen, you know, right away. And well, the girl next door wasn't blasting, but she had a radio on, you know, a top ten stations. And it was loud enough where it was, I could hear it pretty clear. I could hear every word, let me put it that way. I think, ah, okay, what are you going to do? That's all right. And then a few minutes later, across the street, uh, a whole caravan of these uh, landscaper trucks pull up. You know, it's like two or three of them pull up at a time. And it's like, they jump out like infantry almost, these guys with their stuff ready. I wouldn't get in their way, you know. And they come out, and they start up. And the next thing, it sounds like, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a... a, a a swarm of bees or hornets and you know they got the weed whackers the blowers and the you know those big lawnmowers starts and they're going and I'm, and I'm going oh boy okay well I can get by with that and then the next door neighbor I think the the child was outside and she's screaming and playing or whatever you know it's like I'm getting all these sounds and I, I just I just want to be quiet with the Lord you know and then the next thing I know is an airplane goes over and it was loud you know, and it's like, this is ridiculous. I mean, there's so much noise going on. And I'm so focused on all that noise that I stop for a minute and far away, I don't know how far away it was, and I don't know what type of bird it was, but there was this bird. And I know a lot of birds, but 
not, I didn't recognize this, the most beautiful song he was singing. And it was so faint, but if I focused and started listening and kind of tried to block out the noise, I heard this bird just chirping and singing so beautiful. And the first thing that came to my mind was, I wonder, you know, if we listened to God, that bird reminded me of that God is always speaking to us. But there's so much noise happening that we miss it because many times he might be speaking in that very quiet voice to our hearts. But we have to block out the other noise. And sometimes even in the midst of noise, we have to try to focus upon God and do it. You know, and Asaph, the slope change to the glorious hope when he got tuned into God. Let's make sure God isn't speaking and we're not hearing him. You know, this is why I encourage you, I always say, to find a quiet place. Even if it's for five or ten minutes every day and get away from everything. And just sit, even if you sit quietly. And at first you might, you might feel like, oh, this is a waste of time. I'm just sitting. I could be doing something. I could be watching something. I could be flipping through Facebook. You know, I just missed ten faces. You know, I just, and, but do it. And you'll see after a while, you'll look for that quiet time and you'll start to hear God speaking to you, dealing with your heart. That I end. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord, not to get so caught up with our eyes that we look everywhere else and focus on this world or what we look at and see injustice or what seems to be unfair. Lord, help us not to constantly look at what's happening around us, but help us to see what's happening within us, that we might see those areas that need to be cleansed and purified, Lord, that we would be focused upon you and we would be a people that have the glorious hope. The apostle wrote it so beautifully in, in Romans 8, 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth considering to the glory that will be revealed in us. Lord, help us to see that this temporary life Lord, is nothing compared to the eternity that you have planned for us with you. Help us to be solid, faithful Christians, Lord, and not lose our sight of your glory and the glory you have promised us with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.